Game in the Time of Corona. That's what this episode is called, and it's not a real episode, I don't think. This is Daniel, the DM for most of the episodes. I thought I would just give our loyal, dear listener an update on what Gigi Nari is doing in this strange time. We haven't been able to meet together for a proper game because of the obvious coronavirus situation. This is... 2020 March, in case you're listening to this in the future, if they have phones in the future. In lieu of that, we've been trying to get remote games scheduled. Now, we had done some remote gaming years ago with a tool called Map Tools, or Map Tools. Don't know if it's plural or not, but it was good. It was a Java program and kind of clunky, but it could do exactly what we needed it to do at the time. So, fast forward many years now, and Roll20 seems to be the preeminent tool for online gaming. So we gave it a shot. Now, I wanted to use Line of Sight and Fog of War and all this kind of stuff so that the players could log in and move their tokens around, and I don't have to describe the dungeon layout. I don't want to have to say, you see 30 feet ahead of you, there's a passage. It extends beyond your torchlight. You go 10, 20, 30 feet. You enter a T-intersection. Each intersection passage goes beyond the reach of your torchlight. Now, that's fine in real life, but through the internet, I don't think so. So this way, everybody can be looking at the same map all at once, and everybody can be involved at the same time, moving around their tokens without waiting on other people to do so. So I thought I would talk a little bit about how I'm doing that, and then in the corresponding show notes post, which will be linked in the description, I will show the settings that I've used to do this. The first thing I had to do was take the rather grungy, primitive maps that I created on this very large grid paper. I think it's uh, it's 11 by 17 paper with eight squares to the inch. So that makes very small squares. Not suitable for this kind of thing. So I redrew them all on standard notebook paper with four squares to the inch and scanned them in in a particular way. And if you're doing this for your own group, then this might be of interest to you. So I already knew what each map contained and I already had them keyed in my primitive map. So because I knew I was going to be enhancing this and using it for Roll20, I would do the same thing if I were going to publish it, which I probably will at some point. So if you're intending on publishing your map, probably want to do it this way. First, just draw it with only the public features visible. So that's doors, hallways, walls. And instead of writing secret doors on there on the map, just don't leave them, don't put them there at all. No secret doors listed, no secret features at all. I scanned it in at that point, and then in a separate layer in your image manipulation software, uh, if you're fancy and an aristocrat, you use Photoshop, uh, but if you don't want to spend any money, like me, you use GIMP. I created separate layers for secrets, like secret door icons, and for room numbers, for room labels. I labeled each room to tell me at a glance what was in it, and then for Another layer for any kind of corrections that I had to do to the map, like I saw maybe there wasn't a door into a room at all. I needed to put one there. And that would be public, so the players will be able to see this. So at this point, you have a bunch of layers with different stuff, uh, and you're going to export two versions of this map. One is that base thing you scanned in, plus any corrections, like doors that were missing that you added in Photoshop. You export that and upload it to Roll20, and then you take that same map file, but hide all the layers that you just exported. So the base map and any corrections, make that invisible. And then you export the same file, but just the secret stuff and the GM facing stuff. So you've got a 
a ping or a GIF or whatever, a clear, transparent file with just like room numbers, secret doors, all this kind of stuff. And you upload that to Rule20. And then in Rule20, you have different layers. You have a token layer, a map layer, a GM layer, and a dynamic lighting layer if you pay for the Plus subscription. And you drag the base map onto the map layer, size it appropriately, and then drag the GM-only stuff into the GM info layer, size it appropriately. And you have a perfect setup ready for dynamic lighting. And I do think it's worth it because I didn't have to mess with Fog of War at all. The dynamic lighting requires a pro subscription, which is I think like, no, not pro plus, which is like 50 bucks a year. So it's not that big a deal, especially if your players chip in. And what that allows you to do is uh, get access to another layer, which lets you paint on or draw on vision blocking layer, which is what it was called in map tool things that they shouldn't be able to see through. So basically you're gonna trace the walls. And then in another color, you're gonna trace the doors. And I was hoping this would work out, I hadn't done it before, but when we actually ran our game, this was this past Saturday, so a few days ago, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, it worked perfectly. Whenever they would go to open a door, they would have to make their checks to open a door because we do abide by old school principles here, even if they don't like it. When they would be making their checks to open the door, I would switch with keyboard shortcut to the dynamic lighting layer and find the, the door line that I drew on there. <clears throat> the blocks line of sight. And since I drew it in a different color, I used orange for the doors and no, orange for the walls and blue for the doors. So even my colorblind self can see the difference. I take, I just grab, use the select tool, grab the door layer, the door line and just move it into the wall. And then any character that has light can see through the door now. And then later when they leave, I just move the, the door back into place to represent the mythic underworld slamming shut all the doors that they've opened. I love that part. So now I get to do it in real time and it's really fun. The, the, that brings me to talk about light. Uh, for each token, you can say that it has sight, other players can see its, its light, and then you put a light radius for it. So I just asked people if they were carrying a torch, and if so, I would assign their 30-foot torch light with a 15-foot dim radius. I don't think that's 5e. I think 5e is 20 and 20, but that's too much light. Torches do not offer that much visibility IRL. I think even 30 feet of light is kind of generous. Uh, but that worked really well, and so players that had torches really did have to play their role in illuminating and uh, stepping out in front of the party with the players who didn't have it because they were carrying two-handed weapons or something, uh, having to follow along and make sure they were, they were walking with someone who was bearing light. That all just works naturally when you do it online, and is frankly an upgrade to the standard face-to-face -face method of doing it where People just don't care about light, and it's a hassle to them. But here it's necessity and it's kind of fun. It's like the medium in which you're engaging rather than this additional hassle that is placed upon you by an overbearing and idiosyncratic GM. All that to say, it went well. The players, if you've been following our Dungeon Academy game, they continue to encounter in the empty rooms, the empty rooms, uh, That's you couldn't see that because this is audio, but I did uh, quotation marks in the air lore about the boss of the sub-level they were on. And I'll, I'll, I'll maybe do another episode that talks about my methodology for creating these sub-levels where they're each controlled by a boss and throughout the entire sub-level they can, the players that is, can learn more information about the boss by seeing different things in there like murals, statues, apparitions, all sorts, even monsters. And so they ended up talking to the boss. I had boss music played that I generated with AI. And I thought it went great. They found secret passages. They found traps that were on the map and the secret layer, of course. 
we had a we had a really good time after we got over the initial technological hurdles of people getting their character sheets set up and that kind of thing. So I think the next time we play, it'll be really fun. Maybe we'll record it. Maybe we'll release at least a little bit of it. Audio quality won't be as good because not everybody has decent mics. But I think it was fun. I think we'll keep doing it. Maybe Corona Chan. Yes, she does bring death and destruction in her wake, but maybe she also brings new opportunities for gaming and um, an incentive to be more creative and more prepared for your own games. That's where we're at. I'm hoping that we will continue uh, to do panel episodes. Maybe this week we'll have another episode for you. This was an impromptu episode just because I felt like we should give an update in case you don't follow our Discord. By the way, if you go to patreon.com slash re, you can sign up for $1 a month or whatever the lowest is and just jump on our Discord and we're always chatting there and any updates we have to the cast or any questions I have for the patrons, I'll put them in there. Also, because I'm running games online now and my Dungeon Academy game is ready at a moment's notice to play online, I can run games for patrons too. So if you are ever interested in playing with us, that's something that might possibly happen if you get in our Discord. And uh, when I ask for volunteers, you raise your hand. So we'll see about that. The future is bright in some ways, not in others. But in any case, we hope that you will keep that fun dial turned all the way down to zero and listen in for our next GG Nori episode.